Yesterday, Michelle Obama, the Democrats break glass in case of emergency candidate, sounded off on Joe Biden. And here is what she said. And you wonder where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter, who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit. It affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. She's speaking for a lot of Democrats right now who are deeply worried that Joe Biden is going to lose the upcoming election to Donald Trump. And the latest polls show that Donald Trump is, in fact, leading Joe Biden in virtually every swing state. Joe Biden is deeply underwater. So yesterday, Joe Biden headed to Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina. What was he doing there? Well, speaking about the evils of white supremacy and the magic of diversity, equity and inclusion, of course. And he was doing so at the church where the Charleston massacre took place, where white supremacists murdered a bunch of black parishioners. Why was he there? Well, because it's election time and Joe Biden knows the only way he is going to win re-election is if he has heavy black turnout at the ballot box. That's the whole thing. That's been the secret sauce for Democratic electoral victory in recent elections. In 2000, just 53.5% of black voters showed up to vote. In 2008, when Barack Obama was on the ballot, that number jumped to a record 60.8%. In 2012, it spiked to a new record, 62%. Then, because Barack Obama was not on the ballot in 2016, it dropped back down to 55.9% and Hillary Clinton lost the election. When Joe Biden won in 2020, that number rebounded to almost 59%. And black voters in the 2020 election went for Joe Biden at a 92 to 8 clip. Voters of color overall, by the way, represented 4 in 10 of Joe Biden's votes. The black vote for Joe Biden is going to be especially important because unlike other voters who voted disproportionately by mail in 2020 and who probably will not show up this time in the same way, black voters were the subgroup most likely to show up and vote in person. That means that if mail-in ballots drop in the upcoming election and turnout in person stays kind of the same, you would expect to see heavy black turnout because many people showed up in person in the black community to vote this way. So it's back to the old playbook for Joe Biden, racial polarization. This has been the playbook for Democrats my entire lifetime, but it was exacerbated greatly by Barack Obama in 2012. And Joe Biden knows how to play that game because he was the vice president in 2012. Remember that time in 2012 that he said that Mitt Romney, yes, Mitt Romney, the most toast Republican, perhaps of all time, was going to put black Americans in chains during the 2012 race. Remember this? Look at what they value and look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Yes, Mitt Romney was going to re-slavery black people in the United, in the United States. Sure, that, Joe Biden made that contention in 2012. And it worked. So in 2024, fast forward 12 years, and we're going to do it again. Joe Biden, by the way, in 2012, not remotely the same as Joe Biden in 2024. Anybody who believes that that man is not in a state of mental and physical decline, watch the tapes of Joe Biden back to back from 2012 and watch the tapes now. He was never any great shakes oratorily. He was never any sort of magically brilliant human being, but at least he could speak words from his face hole with some level of fluidity. That is all over. In any case, it's now 2024. Joe Biden needs black votes, and it was time to head to a historically black church victimized by white violence and then proclaim that he's going to stand up against all the evil white Americans who might vote for Donald Trump. We'll get to more of this in just one second. As we've been talking about 2024, it's going to be totally crazy. A wild ride. 
The dollar is losing its buying power faster than wages can increase. Supply chain problems in the Middle East. Possibility of Chinese blockade of Taiwan. So let me ask you, how are you protecting your savings? Consider diversifying with gold from Birch Gold Group. For decades, gold has been the choice of investors and central banks to hedge against inflation. I'm using Birch Gold myself for years. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out and balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. And this month only, when you open that gold IRA with Birch Gold, you get a free signed copy of my book, The Authoritarian Moment. Couldn't be more relevant, but you need to text Ben to 989898 to qualify. Birch Gold has been the exclusive gold company of The Daily Wire for the past seven years. That's where I get my gold. That's where you should get yours as well. Text Ben to 989898. Protect your savings. Claim your eligibility for a free signed copy of The Authoritarian Moment. If you diversify now, you're going to feel a lot better when the bleep hits the fan a little bit later. Text Ben to 989898 right now. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, we all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in your hair. But if you're still driving an older car, the idea of a long car ride that could lead to a breakdown, which is more expensive than actually, you know, buying a new car, that could stop you from getting behind the wheel. It's really expensive to maintain a car. The price of many car parts has increased by almost 100% since you bought that old Toyota Corolla. That means when you need a car repair, you could be paying double what it cost 20 years ago, which is why you need CarShield. CarShield customers don't have to worry about the cost of covered car parts. CarShield can protect up to 5,000 different parts and systems, saving you lots of money on things like your engine, transmission, brakes, AC, electrical systems, and more. They've got protection plans starting at just 100 bucks per month. CarShield is offering varying levels of coverage and unlimited miles. You can go on that road trip without giving it a second thought. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service as well as 24-7 roadside assistance. They'll help you with flat or damaged tires, lockouts. They even offer rental car options. I feel so much better because I got CarShield for my sister and her family, and it is awesome. They, they bought a car, and they need CarShield to make sure they can actually use that car. They drive their car into the ground. They have a bunch of kids. CarShield has come in handy for them. The last thing you need in this economic climate is to have to deal with the massive costs of a repair. Instead, head on over to CarShield. Avoid the hassle of costly car repairs with CarShield. Visit carshield.com slash Shapiro. Save 20% today. That's carshield.com slash Shapiro to save 20%. Again, visit carshield.com slash Shapiro and lock in your price today. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. He went to, again, Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina, not because Donald Trump had anything to do with the shooting at Emanuel AME Church in South Carolina. After all, that took place in 2015. Donald Trump was not yet president. It was a year before Donald Trump was president. Barack Obama was president at the time. But the idea is that Donald Trump's ideology is the same as the ideology of the evil white supremacist who shot up the church. That was the idea. And that's why Joe Biden showed up there. It's a really cynical play. And it's a really ugly play. But it's something Joe Biden is quite familiar with, again, because he has done it 
before. So he shows up at this church and the audience begins cheering four more years. Now, I've been informed by reliable sources that Christian nationalism is one of the great threats to America. Christian nationalism, the abuse of church for political purposes. Of course, that only means that evangelical Christians should not support Donald Trump because that would be Christian nationalism. But when you cheer four more years in a historically black church, well, that means just that's what God wants you to do, apparently. That's like the good kind of Christian nationalism. Here's some of that. Thank you, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joe Biden doesn't appear to know quite where he is. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a lot of politics in a church right there. Okay, well, he needs something in his head, so perhaps it will go to his head, perhaps it won't. There's not much left up there. Again, the theme of his campaign is going to be that Donald Trump is a Nazi. That's going to be the theme of his campaign. And he's laid it out in the past four days. First at Valley Forge, where he suggested that Donald Trump literally was a Nazi, that he was repeating Nazi sloganeering, and that if Donald Trump won the 2024 election, there would be no further elections. And then on Monday, when he went to this church, where he suggested that if Donald Trump wins, white supremacy will have won. Joe Biden led off this speech by, of course, talking about the massacre that took place in June of 2015 in Charleston, South Carolina. Here we go. On June 17, 2015, the beautiful souls, five survivors and five survivors, invited a stranger into this church to pray with them. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate, of rage, propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison. Poison that has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. Again, this idea that white supremacy is a widespread ideology in the United States is absolute sheer nonsense. It's just nonsense. That doesn't mean there aren't dangerous white supremacists out there. I know there are. Many of them send me death threats. But the idea that that is like a chief threat to the United States right now, an ideology in which white people believe that they are supreme to other races in the United States, there is zero poll data to suggest that white supremacy is a serious underlying problem in the United States. Americans, generally speaking, do not think like that. But this constant harping on race which is what Barack Obama began in 2012. Remember, in 2008, he ran as a racial uniter, not a racial divider. In 2012, he ran as somewhat of a racial divider. His entire plan in the 2012 election was racial polarization so as to drive minority turnout against, again, Mitt Romney, the most generic Republican it is possible to generic. And it worked. But you can see the results of that. Now, the the myth that Democrats have to tell themselves is that by suggesting that white supremacy is a continuing vast problem in the United States. They're somehow making the United States a better place. And that's what Joe Biden suggested yesterday. He was talking about the bringing down of the Confederate flag, which happened in the aftermath of that shooting at Emanuel AME. You'll recall that the shooter in that particular case, there are pictures of him with the Confederate flag. This turned into a nationwide debate over the Confederate flag and whether it should be allowed to be flown in any state monuments or appear in any state monuments whatsoever. I thought there were, frankly, pretty good arguments on both sides of the aisle on that particular on that particular disagreement. There are a lot of people who believe the Confederate flag in the South was more of a cultural thing that no longer called to the original purposes of the Confederacy. Obviously, black Americans looked at the Confederate flag and said, well, uh, guys, that was the Confederacy. Yeah, I thought there were good arguments on both sides, but the notion that American race relations got better as a result of that particular debate has been belied by, you know, all of American history since then. Here was Joe Biden playing this game. You brought down the Confederate flag in South Carolina. You brought it down. No, you did. 
and you helped the nation heal. You showed what America can overcome, what we can be when we want to be something. Now, if he wants to give credit for that to somebody, the person he should credit, of course, is one of the Republicans on the other side of the aisle, the governor of South Carolina at the time, Nikki Haley. Right? So if you see this as a good thing, then Nikki Haley is the person who actually took the Confederate flag off of monuments at the, at the state capitol. With all that said, again, the idea that all of this helped bring down the temperature on race relations in the United States is obviously untrue. When Joe Biden says that this helped the nation heal, and let me, let me just read you the poll statistics. Again, this is one of the most shocking poll statistics in modern American history, these, these poll statistics. It says, quote, would you say relations between white and black people are very good, somewhat good, somewhat bad, or very bad? And here are the stats for very or somewhat good, right? Good race relations. Okay, as of 2001, 70% of black Americans said that race relations were very or somewhat good, and 62% of white Americans said the same. In 2003, those numbers were 69% of white Americans said they were very good or somewhat good. 59% of black Americans said they were very or somewhat good. In 2008, 70% of white Americans said that race relations were very or somewhat good. And 61% of black Americans said that they were very or somewhat good. In 2013, still 72% of white Americans said that race relations were very or somewhat good. 66% of black Americans said they were very or somewhat good. And then something happened. Then something happened. In 2014, the Black Lives Matter movement launched, and it made the claim that America was a deeply racist place filled with white supremacy. It was, again, an overhang of the Obama-Biden 2012 campaign extended forward in time through 2013 and 2014. And so when the Ferguson riots broke out and Barack Obama decided to take the side of the rioters, effectively speaking, when that happened, when the Black Lives Matter movement started to make the false claim that America was racist in all of its iterations, race relations absolutely plummeted in the United States. In 2013, 72% of white Americans said race relations were good, and so did 66% of black Americans. By 2015, 45% of white Americans said race relations were good. That is a 27 percentage point drop. And simultaneously, 15% percentage points fewer Black Americans said race relations were good. Only 51% of black Americans said race relations were good. This is by 2015. Then those numbers continued to decline. In 2021, while Joe Biden is president with the Democratic Senate, 43% of white Americans say race relations are good and only 33% of black Americans say race relations are good. One third of blacks and fewer than half of whites say race relations are good. Again, that is from 72% of whites and 66% of blacks in 2013. I mean, why did that happen? And the answer is the more you talk about the polarization between races, the more you pretend that that is the source of American conflict, the worse things get. And our political leadership class, particularly on the left, has a heavy stock in doing particularly this. And so Joe Biden, because he needs black votes, he is going to try to transmute the white supremacy shooting that happened in Charleston into a debate about January 6th. Now, again, I think that's a really awkward fit. There are very few people, black or white, who believe that Donald Trump is like a vicious anti-black racist. Again, one of Donald Trump's signal accomplishments, one I disagreed with, was criminal justice reform, which was pushed forward by Trump and Van Jones, who's a black advocate, obviously. But this is Joe Biden's play. Racially polarize the country for political profit. That is the game. Folks, last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to everyone who made this possible. 
When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, she was in a terrible place. She didn't know how she could raise her child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic, but God led her to a pre-born clinic where she was introduced to her baby on ultrasound. And that changes people's lives. When she saw her baby and heard its heartbeat, she broke down crying. The nurse gently reminded her a child is a blessing and Antoinette chose life. Preborn saves 200 babies each and every day. For just 28 bucks a month, you can sponsor an ultrasound and help save a life. When a mom sees her baby on the ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. Just dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. My wife and I, we have four kids. We met all of them on ultrasound well before they were born. Give a mom the privilege of doing that today and help her choose life. Just dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com slash Ben. So here he was trying to link up the lost cause of the Civil War. Okay, that is the myth that was created by Southerners in the aftermath of the Civil War. There was something magnificent going on with the Confederacy and that that cause had been lost in the aftermath and that the South was ruined and all of this by the loss of the Civil War. He's trying to link that up with January 6th. I mean, this is some pretty astonishing stuff. So let me be clear for those who don't seem to know. Slavery was the cause of the Civil War. There is no negotiation about that. It's a subtweet of Nikki Haley right there. Now we're living in an era of a second lost cause. Once again, there's some in this country trying, trying to turn a loss into a lie. A lie which, if allowed to live, will once again bring terrible damage to this country. This time, the lie is about the 2020 election. The election which you made, your voice is heard and your power known. Okay, again, this is amazing stuff. Trying to link up the lost cause narrative about the Civil War with Donald Trump claiming that he won the 2020 election is that's that's such an insane stretch. That's such a but and it's so obvious again what he is doing. It's so obvious. This culminated in Joe Biden calling Donald Trump a loser to wild applause at this church. Again, when wild applause happens at a church for political figures who are right wing, that's Christian nationalism. When it happens for Joe Biden, that's politics. Here we go. There's one thing they don't have. They don't have respect for the 81 million people who voted the other way. Voted for my candidacy. And voted to end the presidency. In their world, these Americans, including you, don't count. But that's not the real world. That's not democracy. That's not America. In America, we all count. In America, we witness to serve all those who, in fact, participate. And losers are taught to concede when they lose. And he's a loser. To wild whoops and cheers, obviously. Uh, Biden concluded this speech by suggesting once again that January 6th, it's all about January 6th for for Biden. It's it's just going to be January 6th from now until the end of time for Joe Biden. He is now connecting that to opposition to diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI is an outgrowth of postmodernist theory. To give you a very brief one-minute synopsis of what DEI is in its history, postmodernism is a philosophy that says there is no such thing as truth, there is just power. Promoted by Michel Foucault, among others, the basic idea is that anything you believe is not actually a belief in a truth or in a system. What you actually believe is a reflection of your own desire for power. And that means that all the systems in America are not about whether they work or whether they don't, whether they're fair, whether they're not. They're just about 
the people who succeed under that system creating power structures to benefit themselves. That was first transmuted by Marxists into claims about rich Americans who are structuring the system for their own benefit. And then when that didn't work, it was transmuted into racial claims. Those racial claims became critical race theory. The basic idea being that all the structures of American society are inherently racist, perpetrated by white supremacists in order to reinforce that supremacy. And that transmuted into diversity, equity, and inclusion. The basic idea of which is that, again, all of the systems of America are fundamentally broken. And the way you can tell this is because there's unequal outcome by group. And that can only be rectified by unequal treatment of groups. That's what diversity, equity, and inclusion is. And this is Joe Biden's pitch. His pitch to black audiences is that he is going to create special carve-outs for blacks. That is what he is doing right here. That, that, that is why he is saying this sort of stuff. It's why he's trying to link up all of this into one giant ball of mishmash. So here we go. He's going to link together in this statement, January 6th, an attempt to destroy DEI and a zero-sum view of America, which is amazing, by the way, because DEI is inherently a zero-sum view of America. When you say DEI is the situation that we should promote, what you are saying is that basically there should be racial quotas. Racial quotas are, by their very nature, zero-sum. If there is one slot, And it has to go to either the most meritorious candidate or the most diverse candidate. And they're not the same person in this particular scenario. If that happens, one person gets the slot. That is, by definition, a zero-sum game. A meritocracy is not a zero-sum game because there are positive externalities to the meritocracy. In other words, people who are best at the job get the job, and that helps everybody. When it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, there are no positive externalities. There are only people who win and people who lose. But that's the opposite of what Joe Biden is preaching because he's fibbing. The lies that led to January 6th are part of a broader attack on the truth of America today that we all have seen before. The same movement that throughout the mob of the United States Capitol isn't just trying to rewrite history, January 6th, they're trying to determine to erase history and your future. Banning books, denying your right to vote and have it counted, destroying diversity, equality, inclusion all across America, harboring hate and replacing hope with anger and resentment and dangerous view of America. That narrow view of America, zero-sum view of America that says, if you win, I lose. If you succeed, it must be I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. And maybe worst of all, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. Oh, my God. The levels of projection here are absolutely astonishing. That is literally the entire Democratic playbook. If I if you win, I lose. Right. When it comes to economics, if somebody succeeded, it's because they must have done something wrong. And so we have to punish them for their success and tear them down because obviously the one percent are cruel and evil, as Bernie Sanders says. If you succeed, it must be that I failed. Right. As opposed to if the person next door to me is rich and I'm also a little bit richer because he's good at his job and sold me a good product or service, we all benefited. That is precisely the opposite of the zero sum economics in which Democrats constantly engage. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, it is 2024. A lot of us are trying to get our finances in order. There's some great news for homeowners, actually. Interest rates have now dropped down to the fives. It's a lot lower than where they were just last year. If you've been buried in high interest credit card debt, now would be the time to break free with American financing. American financing can help you access the cash in your home to pay off your high interest debt. Last year, their salary-based mortgage consultants helped customers save an average of 854 bucks a month. That's like giving yourself a $10,000 raise a year. What a great way to start the new year. And if you start today, you may be able to delay two mortgage payments. Call American Financing today at 866-569-4711. 
That's 866-569-4711 or visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334, NMLS APR for rates in the fives start at 6.406% for well-qualified borrowers. Call 866-569-4711 for details about credit costs and terms. When he says that the Republican philosophy is if I hold you down, I lift myself up. Who's trying to hold who down? Who's trying to hold who down? When you suggest that the meritocracy is deeply flawed and is, in fact, a reinforcement girder for power, what you're trying to do is hold down the meritorious. This Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut. You are taking the most meritorious and you are saddling them with burdens in order to, quote unquote, make things more equal. The most famous quote along these lines that that springs to mind here is Barack Obama being asked in 2008, if increasing the capital gains tax actually lowered economic growth, would he still do it? And he said yes, for purposes of fairness, because dragging people back down to the median is more important than everybody rising, even if that rate of increase is unequal. And this is, in a nutshell, Joe Biden's campaign. This is why he's not going to be able to let go of DEI. Joe Biden is now running directly into a problem. The problem that he has is that the way that he could win is theoretically to go Clintonian third way. He could. He'd go Clintonian third way and he could win. Again, if you go back to elections that Democrats have won in the past, what you will see is that there are many elections that Democrats have won where black voters did not show up in the kinds of numbers they showed up for, for Barack Obama. For example, in 1992, the black turnout rate was 54%. Bill Clinton won. In 1996, the black turnout rate was 50%. Bill Clinton won. In 2000, the black turnout rate was 53.5%. George W. Bush won, but Al Gore won the popular vote. And what they could do is they could rebuild a coalition of white working class voters. But Joe Biden doesn't want to do that. Joe Biden is a believer in the Barack Obama coalition, which is four in 10 Democratic voters being of color and pandering to people. That is the basic idea here. And so he can't let go of DEI and he also can't let go of his radical racialized left wing. He can't do it. Now, the costs of DEI are very clear to the United States. You're starting to see it at corporations, by the way, who are all letting go of this ESG nonsense. That's environmental social government nonsense that is designed to essentially subsume the profitability of corporations in favor of left wing ideology. And corporations are letting go of that because it's a complete waste of money and it undermines morale and it undermines the ability of the company to do business. But the costs of DEI are insanely high, like insanely high. For example, at the University of Michigan, according to the College Fix, the University of Michigan has at least 241 paid employees now focused on DEI. Payroll costs exceed $30 million annually, $30 million. That would cover in-state tuition and fees for almost 1,800 graduate students. 13 DEI staff members earn more than $200,000. What exactly have they added to the University of Michigan? So far, nothing. And precisely the opposite, because again, DEI ideology, which is rooted in the idea that the only reason certain groups succeed in America and certain groups fail is because of inequity and evil. That ideology has promoted radicalism. You can see that, by the way, there's an amazing clip that's now making the rounds from Google's DEI leader, a person named Adriel Parker, explaining why DEI is good. Because the opposite would be to teach people to be colorblind, which apparently is bad. To keep telling people that over and over is so frustrating. And I was just on TikTok and there's a trend where parents are teaching their kids not to see color, quote unquote. And I'm like, 
okay, so the next round of people that are going to be joining our workforce, this next generation, are going to be dealing with the same issues that we're dealing with now. Because to say you don't see color, you don't see me. You don't care to acknowledge the struggles that people like me face. That That's a wild statement. That if you teach your kids to be colorblind, that's somehow terrible because then you're not seeing the struggles other people face. Well, it, it depends on whether that person's actually, this is the person who is leading DEI at Google. What, what is the additional struggle this person is experiencing? Did Claudine Gay experience additional struggles or additional benefits thanks to her race? And this is insane. Instead of looking at people as individuals, they look at them as members of groups, and then they suggest that this is how we ought to judge people. This also, by the way, leads to anti-Semitism because the crossover between DEI and anti-Semitism, it's a Venn diagram circle. Why? Well, because DEI is a conspiracy theory about power. It suggests that the most powerful and the most successful people must have gotten there through exploitation and evil. And then people on the left look and they see the Jews are disproportionately successful in the United States. And they look at Israel versus the Palestinians. And they see that Israel is a disproportionately successful state, a wildly successful state in a deeply unsuccessful part of the world. And they say, well, somebody must have been victimized in order for that to happen. That's the zero sum view of the world. And Joe Biden can't let it go. He can't let go of that zero sum view of the world because that's how he feels he's going to win election, which is why yesterday at Emanuel AME, in the middle of his speech, a bunch of protesters got up and they started chanting about Gaza. Now, this might be a good opportunity for Joe Biden to have what used to be called a sister soldier moment. So very famously, Bill Clinton, when he was running for president in 1992, he made a statement in which he went off on sister soldier. Why? Because in the middle of that campaign, she did an interview. Sister Soldier was a, a hip-hop MC and political activist and all this. And she made a comment in an interview at the Washington Post. She was asked a question, quote, even the people themselves who were perpetrating the violence of the LA riots, did they think that was wise? Was that a wise reasoned action? And she said, yeah, it was wise. I mean, if black people kill black people every day, why not have a week and kill white people? White people, this government and that mayor were well aware of the fact that black people were dying every day in L.A. under gang violence. So if you're a gang member and you would normally be killing somebody, why not kill a white person? Do you think somebody thinks that white people are better, are above and beyond dying when they would kill their own kind? So Clinton speaking, by the way, at the Rainbow Coalition, Jesse Jackson's organization in 1992 running for president, responded to that quotation and to something that Soldier had said in a music video where she said, quote, if there are any good white people, I haven't met them. And Clinton said, if you took the words white and black and you reverse them, you might think David Duke was, was giving that speech. Right now, that probably won Bill Clinton, not just the nomination, but the presidency. Right? That, that, was a, that was very widely reported at the time. That sort of sister soldier moment became a buzzword in American politics of speaking truth to people in your own party who are too radical. But Joe Biden isn't doing that. So Joe Biden has a bunch of protesters who get up and they start chanting, in favor of Hamas, right? They say they want to cease fire in Gaza. They want to cease fire in Gaza, by the way, as Hamas continues to kill Israeli soldiers and hold females hostage. Worth mentioning here, by the way, that the International Red Cross apparently refuses to spend any time trying to visit the female hostages who are being held in the worst possible conditions. And again, Israeli soldiers who are trying to free those hostages and kill members of Hamas are dying every day. Does Joe Biden say to these radicals, guys, you know what you're talking about? Hamas is an evil group that must be extirpated. Does he say that? Does he say your belief that Hamas is some sort of part of the broader racial matrix into which you have cast America is just false, that it's a lie, that your bizarre idea that Palestinians are brown and Israelis are white, that that's stupid? 
And that's not how you should think about morality. Does Joe Biden say that? No, he concedes to them because he has to concede to his radical left-wing base because he thinks that radical left-wing base is going to need to turn out in vast numbers to win him re-election. By the way, this is how you lose the middle in this country. It turns out 62% of Americans want America to give more support to Israel in its current war against Hamas. But here is Joe Biden being absolutely castrated by a bunch of radical protesters at this church. Without the truth, there's no light. Without light, there's no path from this darkness. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I understand their passion. And I've been quietly working. I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce and significantly get out of Gaza. I'm using all that I can to do. Now, these are a bunch of nuts inside the church. Okay, there's a bunch of left-wing radical kooks. He could have just ignored them and said nothing. Instead, he says, I understand your passion. By the way, this is how the Democratic Party sees its most radical constituents. They're just too passionate. That's really the problem. Riots in Ferguson, they're too, they're too passionate. I mean, they, they, yeah, we don't want them burning things, maybe, but they, they have a point. I mean, we can see why they're mad. And it's the same thing when you have people yelling at you about protecting Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Is Biden willing to say anything? Of course not, because the entire Democratic Party infrastructure is unwilling to say or do anything, which is why you're seeing protesters clogging up traffic lanes in New York City. Yesterday, protesters clogged up basically every major traffic artery in New York City. Some 300 were arrested and then promptly released because that's how it works in New York City. Here's some video. This is it, by the way, is a black father telling people to move. But, you know, you, you can't you got to let the wokes win. You got you got to leave them alone. He needs to leave. This is illegal. Where are the cops? The guy who's trying to push people out of the way so he can go where he wants to go is not wrong. He is correct. The way that law works in the United States is if it is not enforced, other people will take it into their own hands who try to enforce it. Look at this. They shut down entire freeways. It's absurd. They shut down the Holland Tunnel. They shut down the Brooklyn Bridge in favor of Hamas. Where are the cops? Where are the cops? Throw these people in jail and all of this stops tomorrow. They don't want to spend any time in jail because they're weaklings. They're perfectly happy to do this because they know there are no consequences. The difference between civil rights protesters and these jackasses, civil rights protesters, number one, were protesting for something good. And number two, were willing to go to jail for that belief. These people are protesting for something evil and are not willing to go to jail for that belief. You know what the easy solution is? Arrest them and put them in jail. It is not particularly difficult, but Democrats won't do that because they believe that these people are part of their base. It's totally crazy. We'll get to more on this in just a second. First, the NFL playoffs are finally here. Means now is the perfect time to join prize picks. Even if you don't follow the NFL, prize picks offers projections on pretty much all the sports there are. NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, PGA, college sports, esports, disc golf, whatever it is you are into. Prize picks is the easiest and fastest way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick two to six players and you choose whether they will score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on a single entry. You don't compete against other humans. It's just you versus the projections. Plus, prize picks has a reboot policy that keeps your entries in play even if one of your players gets injured. 
For NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is then rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with injury insurance. Producer Jake, huge fan of college football last night. Jake did pretty well during the national championship game between Michigan and Washington. Michigan's quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, and their running back, Blake Quorum, helped Jake win his picks. Prize picks allows Jake to enjoy his weekends by making entries on his favorite players, and Jake loves that easy-to-use interface. You will, too. Go to prizepicks.com slash Ben. Use promo code Ben for a first deposit match up to 100 bucks. That's prizepicks.com slash Ben with promo code Ben for a deposit match up to $100. Also, Folks, this is a no-brainer. If you want to protect your kids from leftist indoctrination, well, the best way to do that, go on over to BentKey. Start a 14-day free trial to BentKey. It's our new kids entertainment app from The Daily Wire. BentKey is the only streaming app that offers high-quality, family-friendly shows that actually reflect your values. BentKey features amazing characters, timeless stories. Your kids are going to love it. My kids absolutely love it. We've got new episodes streaming every Saturday morning, which means the Saturday morning cartoons are back. Don't take my word for it. See for yourself. You can try BentKey for free for 14 days. No catch, no gimmick, no hidden fees. Just pure, unadulterated, awesome content your kids are going to love and you can trust. All you have to do is use code UNLOCK at checkout. You'll get 14 days of unlimited access to BentKey's world of adventure. Go to bentkey.com and use code UNLOCK at sign up to start your free trial today. Okay, meanwhile, Jamil Madback, an organizer with the Palestinian Youth Movement, said, quote, Our aim today was to clog the arteries of New York City to draw attention to the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people and the people of Gaza. American bombs and American-made internationally prohibited chemical weapons are being dropped on Arabs again, financed by American taxpayer dollars, etc., etc. The protesters were calling for a permanent ceasefire, an end of the U.S. government's arming of Israel, an end to the siege of Gaza, an end to Zionist occupation. They believe, by the way, that Zionist occupation means Tel Aviv and the release of all Palestinian political prisoners, which means the release of terrorists. This is what they're calling for. And the Democratic Party can't just say no. And one of the reasons the Democratic Party cannot say no is by polling data. The Democratic Party coalition includes a lot of people who sympathize with Hamas. It is unfortunate. It is an unfortunate reality. It is also one of the reasons why things that would absolutely be national stories if the ethnicities were different are not national stories. Let me give you an example. So apparently on Thursday night, there was a girls' basketball game between a school called the Leffel School, a private Jewish school in Hartsdale, and a school called Roosevelt High School, a public school in Yonkers. They played a non-league girls' basketball game. In the middle of the game, which turned physically violent, a Roosevelt player told a visiting Jewish opponent, I support Hamas, you effing Jew. That's according to the New York Post. The Jewish school head coach held a discussion with the players. They decided to end the game after the third quarter. Following the incident, Leffel senior player Robin Bosworth wrote an op-ed saying the right from the beginning of the game, there were substantially more jabs and comments thrown at the players on our team than what I've experienced in a long time. Apparently, the Roosevelt players were shouting free Palestine along with anti-Semitic slurs. She said, I've played a sport every athletic season throughout my high school career. I've never experienced this kind of hatred directed at one of my teams before. Instead of responding to hatred with more of the same, we chose to separate ourselves from the situation. So why wasn't this a national story? If this had been an, a black team being insulted by white people using the N-word, then that would be a national news story for like a week. Why didn't that? Well, because if you look at pictures of the game, it was minorities, people of color who were insulting Jews. And that means the intersectional, the intersectional hierarchy has not been violated. This is the problem with DEI. It's the problem with radicals inside the Democratic Party base. And by the way, this is metastasizing. According to ResumeBuilder.com, in November of 2022, Resume Builder surveyed 1,131 U.S. hiring managers and recruiters about their views on Jews. 
Key findings, 26% of hiring managers say they are less likely to move forward with Jewish applicants because, quote, Jews have too much power and control. And 26% make assumptions about whether a candidate is Jewish based on appearance. 23% say they want fewer Jews in their industry. DEI amounts to this. But that's not all DEI is. DEI also suggests, of course, that America's systems, all of them, including our immigration system, are deeply racist. And the only way to rectify that is, as AOC says, to legalize everyone who wants to cross the border. Everything is seen, by the way, by Democrats in terms of this sort of racial conflict. This is why Mayor Brandon Johnson, the male Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, he says that when Greg Abbott is sending illegal immigrants to major Democratic cities, he's doing so because he's targeting black people. Every game is played the same way in the Democratic Party circles. It's really ugly. Here we go. What are your thoughts about the case? And is this an action you would consider taking as well? Well, you know, look, you're very you're absolutely right about the intentions of Governor Abbott. Um, he is attacking democratically ran cities and particularly cities that are being led um, by black leaders or leaders of color. This is unconscionable. I mean, it's a very raggedy approach. And quite frankly, not only is it reckless and raggedy, um, but it is evil spirited. It is evil spirited. Why? It's apparently racist. It's racist to ask that a sanctuary city take in, you know, the people they said they're going to provide sanctuary. And this has to be what's motivating U.S. policy at this point, because U.S. policy is a bleep show. Understand, there are a bunch of factors at the border. The biggest factor, of course, is that the United States has changed its laws so that if you apply for asylum, which means literally you arrive on the border and you say, I fear to go back to my home country, we will process you and we will let you into the interior of the United States. Alejandro Mayorkas told Border Patrol agents that, quote, above 85% of all illegal immigrants arriving on the border are released into the United States. Now, for a long time, Title 42 allowed people to be turned back from the border. They just said, we're not taking you in. Go back to your go back to the Mexican side of the border. But. That is no longer happening because Title 42 is ended by the Biden administration. And so now above 85 percent of people showing up on the border are just released into the United States. That's insane. Mayorka said last week on Special Report, well, more than a million migrants were released into the United States annually and argued repeatedly it's up to Congress to provide more funding. So if it's more than a million released into the United States annually, then that 2.3 million statistic that the DHS released the other day is a lie. It's not true. It means that over the course of this administration, according to Mayorkas himself, at least three million people have been released into the United States. Border Patrol agents have told me there are at least a million known gotaways, which means there are probably another seven to eight hundred thousand unknown gotaways if their percentages are correct. So you're talking about under Joe Biden, a minimum about five million people have entered the country illegally. You know, this benefits, by the way, the drug cartels, the drug cartels are making absolute bank on this sort of stuff. According to the House Committee on Homeland Security. In 2021, cartels made $13 billion just from human trafficking and smuggling because everybody who is crossing the border is paying the coyotes $6,000, $8,000, up to $25,000 for being smuggled across the border. And by the way, the drug cartels are using those vast number of illegal migrants in order to distract Border Patrol from policing the other parts of the border. So what they do is they drop off a huge contingent of illegal immigrants at some border patrol way station. And then because of Joe Biden, all these people have to be bused to a detention center as soon as humanly possible and then processed and let into the interior of the United States as soon as humanly possible. Up to 90% of all border patrol agents are now staffed on busing and administrative duties. We have turned them into babysitters. And meanwhile, the entire border is left completely unmanned. 
which means that people are rushing across the border, the ones who don't want to get caught. The vast majority of people walking into the country actually want to get caught. They are walking across and they are waving at the border patrol agents and saying, hey, pick me up, come take me. But the ones who don't want to get caught are able to evade arrest because there are no border patrol agents anywhere along large swaths of the American-Mexico border. And what, that, what does that look like? It looks like the amount of fentanyl in the country extraordinarily rising. According to that same Homeland Security Committee, fentanyl costs as little as 10 cents to produce. That's a fake prescription pill laced with fentanyl. It can be sold for 10 to 30 bucks, which means 10 kilos of fentanyl are worth about $20 million. $20 million. Okay, just to explain how much fentanyl is now entering the country. In 2023, according to Border Patrol itself, fentanyl seizures, these are just what was seized, is 27,000 pounds. 27,000 pounds of fentanyl. That would calculate out to almost $24.4 billion worth of fentanyl. That was caught at the border. And way more is getting through than is getting caught. Because the stuff that's getting caught at the border are morons who are largely trying to bring it through ports of entry or people who are getting caught, which is a minority of the people who are now entering the country illegally. But apparently it's racist to mention any of this. Apparently it's bigoted to mention any of this. There is no reason to leave the border open the way the border has been left open. And Mexico is holding Joe Biden over the barrel. Apparently, according to Fox News, Mexico's president is now demanding $20 billion, basically in cash, plus work permits for 10 million people from south of the border in exchange for immigration help. Also, Mexico says the United States has to end its blockade on Cuba and cut Venezuela sanctions because Lopez Obrador, who's the leader of the Mexican government, is in fact a pinko socialist. And so he's allied with the entire pink wave that has happened from Venezuela to Cuba to Mexico. And so he basically wants the United States to surrender to him. The only reason the most powerful country on earth would surrender to this is because there is an internal belief inside the United States that you have to surrender on illegal immigration because it is unjust that people can't just enter via the southern border willy nilly. So what do they do? They just lie about it. So Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, who, listen, I don't know Mayorkas's personal role in this versus Joe Biden's. All I do know is that Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas have made it easier to cross the southern border than any time in modern American history. By far, it is not close. Again, the process is super simple. You literally walk up to the border and you wave your hand and you say, I don't want to go back to my home country because I fear to go back to my home country. And they just release you into the interior with a little post-it note that says, come back later. But Mayorkas is going to pretend everything is normal. So here he was yesterday saying, don't worry, the migration challenge isn't unique to the United States. Spoiler alert, it is. In fact, it's even unique to the United States over the course of the last five years because this was not happening in 2020. The high number of migrants we have encountered at our southern border is a challenge that is not unique to the United States. Countries throughout our hemisphere, in fact, throughout the world, are experiencing an unprecedented number of displaced people fleeing poverty, authoritarian regimes, homes destroyed by extreme weather events, corruption and violence. Corruption and violence and extreme weather events? I mean, you mean the things that have driven migration for all of human history? Migration levels as a percentage of the population in general, globally, are actually kind of similar to what they've been in the past. There's a whole new book out from Harvard University Press all about this. But you know what's not new? What's happening at our southern border right now? It's not new except in the extent. The extent is brand new, brand new. Again, in reality, 
it is highly likely that at least 5 million illegal immigrants have crossed America's southern border and disappeared into the interior of the United States during Joe Biden's tenure. Meanwhile, Mayorkas, again, he keeps lying. He says, we're doing everything we can to reduce what he calls now irregular migration. Uh, no, you're not. You know how I know you're not? Because you're releasing everyone into the United States with a comeback later date. That would not be doing everything you can, would it? The majority of all migrants encountered at the southwest border throughout this administration have been removed, returned, or expelled, a majority of them. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways, to impose consequences on those who do not, and to reduce irregular migration. Absolutely false. Absolutely false. When he says the majority of all migrants encountered throughout the administration have been removed, that's not true. Title 42 allowed for that removal. And then Title 42 ended. And then Mayorkas himself says 85% of people showing up at the border are being released into the interior. So Mayorkas now is just changing the term. He's going to play semantic games. He says, when we say they're released, we don't, they're not really released. They are, quote unquote, released into immigration proceedings. I'll explain what he means by this in a moment. It is very important to understand that when an individual is released, they are released into immigration enforcement proceedings where they can make a claim under the laws that Congress has passed. Okay, let me explain what that means on a practical level. What that means, when he says released into immigration proceedings, you're imagining they're kept in a detention facility until their claim can be heard by a judge, at which point very few of them are going to have an actual asylum claim and most of them get expelled. Wrong you are. The way this actually works under current Biden protocols is you arrive at the border. You wave your hand, like I said. Border Patrol agent picks you up, takes you to a detention facility. They process you at the detention facility. And then you are given a comeback later date within 72 hours. And then you are driven to, say, the Tucson airport, where you are flown to wherever you wish to go. That is what he means by immigration proceedings. I mean, that's that's like when people in New York get arrested for going on a bridge and then they're released with a show up in court later date. Was that really a punishment? Particularly when you know that the vast majority of people who get that show up later date are never going to show up again. Why would they? They like to, to get expelled or they could just, you know, disappear into the interior and never show up again. And ICE is not going to go get them because ICE has not been tasked by the Biden administration with following up with any of these people. The Biden administration is not sending ICE to go round up all of the people who were released when they missed their sell by date, their court date. The Biden administration has said, unless you have a criminal record, we are not going to do that. Unless you commit an act of criminality, we're not going to do that. Which is, by the way, why the number of deportations from the interior of the United States has radically dropped under Joe Biden. You know, there's only one reason to do this. It's ideological. It is certainly not driven by America's best interests. It's DEI related. Again, because DEI is just code for America's systems are white supremacist. And therefore, America has to fix all of its systems by bending over backward anytime there is somebody who's not white involved in a, in a proceeding. That would be the basic idea right here. Okay, meanwhile... On the Trump side of the aisle, an insane story. I mean, if you thought our public officials can't get any more corrupt and ridiculous, wrong you are. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, District Attorney Fannie Willis, you remember her, she's the one who fired, filed a RICO case against Donald Trump for election interference down in Georgia. She improperly hired an alleged romantic partner to prosecute Donald Trump. So she was banging some dude and he became the prosecutor against Donald Trump and then financially benefited from their relationship, according to a court motion filed Monday, arguing the criminal charges in the case were unconstitutional. The bombshell public filing alleged 
Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade, a private attorney, paid for lavish vacations he took with Willis using the Fulton County funds his law firm received. County records show that Wade, who's played a prominent role in the election interference case, has been paid nearly $654,000 in legal fees since January 2022, and the DA authorized his compensation. So the way this works is that Fannie Willis hired the dude she was nailing to help prosecute Trump and then paid him like $655,000 of public money and then took vacations with him. According to this motion filed on behalf of Michael Roman, a former Trump campaign official. A Willis spokesperson said that they will respond through appropriate court filings, but did not respond to a request for comment, which means, you know, that's that's true. The document offers no concrete proof of the romantic ties between Willis and Wade, but says sources close to both the special prosecutor and the DA have confirmed they had an ongoing personal relationship. Roman's lawyer said she reviewed the case file in Wade's ongoing divorce proceedings at the Superior Court Clerk's Office and made copies of certain documents. The case file was later improperly sealed because no court hearing was required as held by law according to the motion. So apparently this all came from a divorce case. According to Stephen Gillers, Professor Emeritus at the New York University Law School, he said a closer look at Willis's decision-making is needed before it can be determined whether the indictment should be dismissed. He said if the allegations are true, Willis was conflicted in the investigation and the prosecution of the case and was not able to bring the sort of independent professional judgment her position required. He said that doesn't mean her decisions were improperly motivated, but it does mean the public and state could not have the confidence in the independent judgment her position required her to exercise. In other words, perhaps the reason she filed these charges against Donald Trump was not just for personal political gain, political gain but because she wanted to go on vacations with the dude that she was paying to prosecute Trump. The filing alleges that Willis and Wade have been involved in a romantic relationship that began before Wade was appointed special prosecutor. It said they traveled to Napa Valley and Florida, cruised the Caribbean, using tickets Wade purchased from Norwegian and Royal Caribbean cruise lines. Although the filings did not include documentation of those purchases, the motion said the checks sent to Wade from Fulton County and his subsequent purchase of vacations for Willis could amount to honest services fraud, which is a federal crime in which a vendor gives kickbacks to an employer. It could also be prosecuted under, wait for it, federal racketeering statute. That'd be Rico. <laughs> oh, they're all the best. Everyone is great at this. Just uh, genius level stuff happening at every level of American government. Alrighty, coming up, we're going to get into the continuing controversy over why exactly the Secretary of Defense still has a job after he went completely missing for days on end. Plus, we'll be joined on the line by Yale Eckstein, President and CEO of International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.